1: 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 630 Chad. McDavid centers one timer score. Oscar Clef And Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clef He'll swing it out to the outside and it is to the end zone. Touchdown Eskimos. Darrell Walker. With the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Breed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Hey,
2: how are you doing today? It is Monday it is a hot one out there. It is the Edmonton Eskimos bye week. Jason Moss will join me from 7.30 to 8 tonight as the Eskimos survive the rain and survive the Toronto Argos for a 16-15 win on Friday night on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. So the Eskimos off this week. Next Thursday, they're going to be in Montreal. And then the next home game, yeah, I know you have this one circled on your calendar Thursday, August 2nd, when the Saskatchewan Rough Riders come to town. That's always a fun one to watch. Former Edmonton Oilers player and assistant coach Kelly Bookberger is the new head coach of the Tri-City Americans in the Western Hockey League. And, uh, of course, a lot going on in the city. Uh, you know, even though the Eskimos are on a bye, we don't have much going on hockey-wise, but a lot going on in the city this week, and we'll talk about a couple of things as we move along. A major uh, senior Little League baseball tournament, as a matter of fact, the Canadian National Championships are going on. We'll get an update later on. And uh, swimming as well, major swim meet featuring some of the best in the country. Gets underway later this week. The 2018 Canadian Swimming Trials will start Wednesday. This is to select the teams for next month's Pan Pacific Championships in Tokyo and the Pan Pacific Para Swimming Championships in Australia. We're going to be joined by Edmonton's own Richard Funk between 6:30 and 7 tonight. An elite swimmer, uh, you know. I, I think we'll talk to him about what he's looking ahead to here, and maybe some. Things that uh, his uh, you know could have gone a little better in his career. I know he was disappointed that he wasn't able to make the uh, Olympic team. My name is Reed Wilkins, by the way. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chad. You can reach me by texting 630 630. The phone number is 780 496 0063. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R E I D W I L K I N S. Of course, some of you, I don't want to say many of you, but I'm sure some of you, were uh, viewers of the World Cup final yesterday morning between France and Croatia. I, I uh, watched that game, six goals to report, one of them controversial. I I was watching that game, and I, I've watched bits and pieces of the tournament uh, and, and certainly seen a lot of the highlights, and the, the video, what do they call it, the VAR, the, the video review. I, I felt like I was watching an NHL game and watching an offside review or a goaltender interference review or or deciding what a catch is in the National Football League. All that fun stuff brought into the most popular game, the biggest tournament in the world. And uh, that handball, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a guest on to talk about it a little bit later on in the show because I, I watched the game and... That's one of those at, at full speed, it wasn't called. France was obviously wanted the review. They decided to review it. And the, the slower you roll the tape, <laughs> the more it looked like a handball, and I, I thought the faster you rolled the tape, the less it looked like you. I mean, it did, it did hit his hand, um, but obviously they, they could rule it unintentional. And since he was jumping, it's a lot harder to control where his arms are. But after just hearing some of the reactions, seeing some stuff on Twitter, articles written about it, I just felt, yeah, it, it, every sport goes through this when they introduce video review. There are times it, it brings clarity. Uh, but I find myself often asking, is is it just causing more trouble than it's worth? Is it just creating more of a gray area? And if if anything, a, a lot of the video review has made me respect officials even more because they're the, you know they're supposed to have one chance to get it right at full speed and be strong and determined and efficient in in the call that they make. So yeah, that will will uh, we'll get we'll get some subtraction. And I and I know watching TSN at halftime, all four guys they had on the panel basically said, no way, that should not have been ruled a handball. France should not have been awarded a penalty kick. And then I was I was joking with Brad Whisker at the end of the afternoon news here. I said, I said to today just for fun, I googled, was it a handball? And that's all that comes up are uh, articles and videos from yesterday's World Cup final. And, and you see a lot of mixed reviews. So again, that makes me respect the referees even more. That you know, they got to decide. They got to live with it. Sometimes they might see video or rewatch video that makes them think, well, I don't know. But in the heat of the moment, they got to make that call. And at full speed, it is so hard to make that call. And we've been over this so many times with the offside review in the National Hockey League. If anything, the offside review makes me appreciate the calls linesmen make because the, the ones that are overturned are usually the guy's skate was five centimeters off the ice and, uh, you know, therefore was technically offside. By the absolute letter of the rule, he was offside, uh, but at full speed, it's going to be pretty hard for the linesman to detect that. So anyway, uh, entertaining game. I think the better team did won. I know Cro- uh, did win. Croatia had a lot of pressure, but France deserving winners throughout that tournament, and Croatia, a pretty positive story. I mean, only about 4.5 million people, and they make it all the way to the World Cup final. It's 6-11. The Eskimos game, they got through the rain. Duke Williams is having an incredible season. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a really interesting game and it certainly a tense game despite the low score. You know, Toronto was was going to get back into it. A lot of coaches' decisions that were big in that one. The the Eskimos wind up winning on a, a single point off a punt where Hugh O'Neill nearly nailed a coffin corner perfectly, came, came close to putting it out at the two- or three-yard line, bounced into the end zone, and the Eskimos were able to hang on after that. It, it's funny how many people, uh, you know, say to me? I know, I know I got a couple of buddies that are just that just really criticize Mike Benavides, the defensive coordinator and the assistant head coach. Well, the last two games, uh, they've only allowed 35 points, and, and Toronto only got one touchdown on Friday at Commonwealth Stadium. They they shut out Toronto in Toronto for about three quarters of the game. I will say this: I think Money Hunter, as a defensive back, is really coming along. The Eskimos might have something there that could help build a little bit of depth. Uh, I I know if there's one thing I hear about Benavides is that he's maybe a little too passive, doesn't bring pressure enough. There was a drive late in the game. I think Toronto's last offensive play, they had a second down. Benavides brought the pressure, forced James Franklin into an incompletion, and the Eskimos win the game. And uh, I know some people want to see more of that. I think maybe with the secondary learning a little bit more, they're, they're, they're trying not to isolate them and, and blitz and leave guys one-on-one. But overall, a pretty good game. Toronto is an interesting team to me. Clearly, Mark Trestman is a good coach. But man, like they have S.J. Green as a receiver. Then they use their two running backs. There's not much there in the receiving core. I would go so far as to say there's really nothing in the receiving core after S.J. Green. And then they throw a lot of passes out of the backfielder to, uh, to James Wilder Jr. and to Declan Cross. That is really interesting to me. Like I know you have to have the running back who's a pass catcher in the Canadian Football League, but to see them thrown to as often as they are, and so much of the offense seemingly centered around finding patterns for the running backs to squirt out of the backfield... Is, is really quite a bit different, I see, in the CFL as opposed to trying to push it 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. Uh, but the Eskimo is able to figure it out. They'll rest this week. No updates on J.C. Sherratt and C.J. Gable, who uh, both obviously were injured in that game. Nasty hit on uh, Gable late in the game. Obviously, it was penalized. By the way, the, the uh, I'll, I'll ask Jason Moss about this, uh, too. I'm sure he'll bring it up. The uh, penalty on Duke Williams after the touchdown... Had a seat in the end zone, Mimes having a meal, had his, took his towel out of his uh, little fanny pack there, tucked it into his jersey, used it to politely wipe his mouth after eating. Well, you can't use a prop. You can celebrate your touchdown. You know, you can't go overboard. You can't, you know, get right in the other team. So you can have a little celebration of the touchdown, but the rule is you cannot use a prop. You, you cannot use a prop and the uh, towel was deemed a problem. Now, here's the question, though. What if he just used the towel as a towel? Then it's not really a problem. He used the towel as a serviette. I guess that's why. Like, I'd, I'd love to hear if the referees had that, had, that, had that discussion. Okay, so he took out the towel. What was he doing with it? Well, he was wiping his, wiping his mouth with it. So he was using it in the uh, sense of having a meal. So therefore, you know, usually you'd have a serviette with your meal. Even if it's a cloth serviette, it's not the same as a hand towel. So that's a prop. <laughs> they should have announced that as the whole penalty. <laughs> they could. They should have announced that as the whole penalty. Just the whole explanation. Objectionable conduct, Edmonton number eighty-one. Used a towel to represent a napkin. Therefore, is considered a prop. That is illegal. That is a 10-yard penalty. Stealth texting in, why couldn't the defense stop Green then? Well, I don't know, Stealth. Why couldn't the Toronto defense stop Duke Williams? Like, good players are going to make plays. Like, what do you expect? No completions for Green the entire game? The guy's good. They had Aaron Grimes on him most of the game, who's the Eskimos' best defensive back. You know, that's a decent matchup. Green had an awesome game. 10 catches, 131 yards. Absolutely. That was uh, almost half of Toronto's total receiving yards in the game. So, I mean, I don't know. S.J. Green is good. Franklin got him the ball. He had a good game. The rest of the receivers really didn't damage the Eskimos one little bit. Uh, Paul says, hi, I've only been following football since 2014. Uh, Why do the Eskimos rarely attack mid-range yards on offense? I would like to see 10 to 20-yard passes more uh, more often on defense. This team isn't as hungry for turnovers as Chris Jones' teams were. I miss that. Well, here's the thing, Paul. Um, Chris Jones is... Probably one of the greatest defensive minds that the CFL has ever had in terms of his creativity, how he deployed players. Uh, I think certainly the the 2015 defense for the Eskimos was better athletically than the one is now. Uh, I think Chris Jones' attitude is that you try to primarily win games on defense and special teams and your offense just doesn't screw up. I think Jason Moss probably has a more balanced approach to coaching. I, it is. I think it comes down to whatever you as a fan prefer and probably based on the strength of your players. But are are they as hungry for turnovers as Chris Jones? Right, well, they're probably still hungry for them. They're not getting as many. Uh why do the Eskimos barely uh rarely attack mid-range yards on offense? <laughs> You know, I I think they do. I, I the one thing I like about Jason Moss is that I I think he attacks different parts of the field offensively. And if you think about the you know the third down conversion to Williams, that's more or less a mid range pass. The touchdown was a mid range pass, but I think that's also the area of the field that is usually has the most defenders in it. So you can try to go over the top, which is a lower percentage pass, or you can try to get balls you know, five to eight yards downfield. And if you complete them and the guy's running, you might be able to gain a few extra yards and get the first down. But those are good questions at all. all right, those, those are good questions, I should say. All right, uh, George says, uh, I think it was because uh, he had the towel tucked into his jersey using it as a bib. Yes, absolutely. That's why Duke Williams got the penalty. You can text 630-630. We'll have more Eskimos as we move on throughout the evening. And, of course, Jason Moss will join me on the Coaches Show at 730. Tragedy on the weekend. Former NHL goaltender Ray Emery drowns his former teammate Wade Redden when we get back.
1: You're listening to 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. To this. Ray, Ray Emery is taking his time, taking the masks are coming off here, folks. Buckle up. Because Emery, I don't think Marty Barra is anxious to get going here, but Ray Emery has got the right hand for it. Oh, oh, boy. Lord. And he's just filled in Marty Barra. And Barra is down and helpless, and right now Ray Emery could absolutely murder him. If Barra is smart, he'll stop throwing punches. Emery's trying to help him back up so he can pump him some more. Chris Phillips and Patrick Coletta at the other end of the ice. Oh, and Marty Baron just threw a punch at Ray Emery, and he's, Ray Emery is saying, let's do it again. And now Andrew Peters has come in on Ray Emery, and Emery's got a smile, and Peters better be careful. Oh, this is not right here, folks. This is not right. Somebody should come to the defense of Ray Emery, but a couple of punches are going to be thrown. And Ray Emery, all he needs to do is get one free. What an unfair fight this is. For who? Oh, boy, yeah. Emery's still smiling and laughing at this one. Emery gets in right after Peters
2: misses with the overhand right. Well, that was a night to remember. In February of 2007, Ottawa Senators goaltender Ray Emery taking on not one but two members of the Buffalo Sabres. Unfortunately, Emery passed away drowning over the weekend. His former Ottawa Senators teammate, defenseman Wade Redden, joins us now. Wade, welcome back to the show. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, Reed. Yeah, good to chat with you
2: again. Well, good to have you on the show, and I appreciate you making time. I know it's a a, a tough day for for past members of the Ottawa Senators and uh, former teammates of uh, Ray Emery, who unfortunately we lost on the weekend, and I know you were with them through some uh, pretty significant years for the Senators in both of your careers. And and let's start with the hockey side of it, Wade. I mean, he was a guy who, uh, you know, like like some goalies, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get, and then, you know, 05, 506, oh, 06, oh, six oh, 07, he was really, uh, you know, the, the backbone of your team, and you went to the Stanley Cup final with him in net. Uh, just from a hockey standpoint, tell me a little bit about his development as, as a goaltender and how he went from kind of a, a minor league guy to your number one guy in, in the span of a, a couple of years. Well, yeah, he was
0: drafted in the span of a few years in bank, bank in and, you know, it was such a great athlete and great uh, competitor. I think he kind of worked his way to and once he got there, he kind of stayed on that same path, just battling and competing. And with that athleticism, he was built to, to be really good for us. And the year of the final in 07, like, he was, you know, obviously a big part of that and and some other years there as well. So, look back on his career, obviously that's probably not think but he kept finding his way. In, an impact on every day he played on, so um, you know he was he was a, he was a lot of fun, great moments playing with. Him. Obviously, those years were were good in my career, and the team was you know at the pinnacle of the years there with the Senators. So it was uh, you know enough to see the news and then hear about Ray Ray in uh, the other day for sure.
2: He, you know, he was—he's he, remembered for his his personality. I, I I think probably as much as his his goaltending. Uh, you know, he could be uh, pretty candid or or, or pretty outspoken at, at least publicly. What was he like when, when he was just the guys? I mean, he was he a raw, raw, outgoing guy, or was maybe there a different side to him that uh, didn't always appear publicly? Um,
0: you know what? You kind of saw is what you get with Ray, and I think that's probably what people respect. About him. At the end of the day, um, you know, there's obviously lots made of you know some of the things trouble got into and whatnot. But he wasn't one to shy away from you know the the consequences of his decisions. Um, he made some mistakes. He was, but I think at the end of the day, he always was was accountable and stood up for, for what he believed in. And, and uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's what you kind of remember about him is. He was a stand-up guy. He wouldn't uh, on the. He would didn't let anyone fight his battles, and he he wasn't one to let his teammates uh, struggle either. He was he was always there to kind of help out, and um, was a good guy that way. So I think at the end of the day, like he was, you know, you know, a great teammate, a great guy. It's you know sad to hear the news that that uh, you know that he, we lost him.
2: Wade, you mentioned he was willing to fight his own battles, and I got to take you back here to February 22nd, 2007. It, you know, sometimes those line brawls happen and, and goalies fight goalies. Goalies don't often fight the other team's tough guy. But, man, Ray, Ray wasn't wasn't shy to go up against Peters of the Buffalo Sabres. That was a, a wild game. Uh, you know, the Sabres and Senators were two of the top teams in the conference at that time. What do you remember about about that night, and, and I guess specifically seeing Emery uh, so willing to take on the, two guys on the other team?
0: Well, I don't think anyone was shocked or surprised or nervous for him. I- like it was his first time getting into a battle like that. He's, he's a guy, he had a fiery side, he put the edge, and um, yeah, I don't think anyone was um, too good about I mean, he could fight his battles and all over his career, and um, that's kind of the turning point. One of the points that we went to the final, he was, uh, you know, I think we were kind of struggling out until Chris we had some a bit of a run we had you know situations like that where you know he went and, and uh, you know raised uh, the level of the team kind of our whole attitude changed from those points on so he was a big part of the year and you know like you said thinking to the way played, the way he was like he was a I was competitive and I um, mean I drew the
2: Everyone on the team. Well, he's going to be remembered for sure, Wade, and I appreciate you giving some of your thoughts today. I know, obviously, it's a, it's a tough time. Thanks for remembering, Ray Emery, Wade, and we'll do this again.
0: Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me,
2: Reed.
1: You're listening to 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
2: Well, I really appreciate Wade Redden coming on the show talking about his former teammate, Ray Emery, who... Drowned over the weekend at the age of 35. You heard uh, Redden say, uh, you know, the uh, the Ray Emery you saw publicly was pretty much uh, how he was uh, privately or behind closed doors. And that's uh, that was his personality and that's how he was. And he said how important Ray was to those teams, um, some really good Senators teams, including one that reached the Stanley Cup final in 2007. My name is Reed Wilkins inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, the Edmonton Prospects home game tomorrow against Regina 7 o'clock at Remax Field. The Prospects have won four straight. They're up to 17 and 18 on the season. They're third place in their six-team division. The top four make the playoffs. Elias Lindholm acquired by the Calgary Flames in that trade by uh, trade with Carolina at the draft new six-year contract worth 4.85 million per season okay uh, big stuff going on in Edmonton in the pool the Canadian swimming trials get underway Wednesday one of Canada's best in the pool from right here at Edmonton I'm pleased to welcome Richard funk to inside sports Richard you're on with Reed how are you doing sir I'm good I'm good thanks for having me well thank you for coming on uh, I, I should say long overdue that we're getting you on the show given how your career has uh, has progressed I'll start I'll start here does, does this feel like uh, does this feel like a home game for you is it nice to be swimming competitively back in Edmonton
3: yeah absolutely it does I mean I put a lot of hours uh, into this pool over the last well during my high school career before I moved away and it definitely feels weird you know I kind of set my little area when you come to a swim meet everybody has their own little area on deck and i put mine right where i used to swim 5 30 a.m in the pool all those mornings so it it definitely feels like a i have a little bit of a home team advantage here
2: all right so this is all going on at the kinsman sports center obviously it's a massive event over 400 athletes a lot of canadians though there are some international competitors as well so this is a major one going on Uh, richard take me back to if you can to, to the very beginning for you, I, I often ask this question of, of athletes and because I find it's often one of the most interesting things about them. A lot of kids play sports. At some point, you might get really good at one and decide to specialize. What was that journey like for you, starting from a little guy?
3: Yeah, well, uh, I grew up and I was primarily a hockey player, to be honest. Uh, I played uh, up until I was 15 years old. I topped out at REM 15 with Southside Athletic Club i kind of always did both I, I played hockey through you know september to march or however and then i would swim the summer season and i, I did that until i was 15 years old and then and it kind of got time to pick one and be really serious about it and uh i just thought that i had a little bit more aptitude in the pool and it ultimately could take me further so when i was 15 years old uh i told my parents um you know it's i think it's time to give up hockey and they were really shocked. I mean, it's, it's been my passion. It still is my passion, I'd like to say, uh, since I was a little kid, you know, growing up in Edmonton. Uh, it's probably similar to most, most of my friends and stuff. But at that, at that point in my life, uh, you know, I had some goals. I, I wanted to go to school and swimming was a way for me to, to meet those goals, you know
2: so and you mentioned the kinsmen that 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 became the place for you, and I mean you mentioned five thirty in the morning, right? That's a lot of yeah. hockey players, so you you had all the early morning swim practices, eh?
3: Oh yeah, I mean, we swam a lot uh a couple, we had a couple guys um when I was in high school that were that were starting to show some promise, and our coach at the time, Steve Price, kind of saw that and was like, okay, um these kids have some potential. And so we were here at Kinsman, we trained 10 times a week, uh, which is quite a bit for, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, and so we'd, we'd go doubles on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then singles Wednesday, Saturday, and yeah, it was 5.30 uh, on deck, and, you know, it's, it's not easy to do when, you know, you got to park your car in the street in the middle of the winter, and you got to wake up about 15 minutes early just to start your car to get to the pool on time. Well, <laughs> it was. Um, it was a bit of a. Sometimes it was a struggle, but you know, once you were here, all that kind of melted away.
2: All right. So, sir, what high school were you going to? I went to Skona. Went to Skona, okay. And you're swimming yeah. at the Kinsman and, and Southside Athletic Club. So, all right, you're you're yeah. uh, you're uh, covered a lot of bases here for for Edmonton, especially Southside kids. Um, yeah. Now. You know, again, the progression for, you know, hockey players is junior hockey. For football and basketball, you got to go CIS or NCAA. Once you're done high school, what did you do to continue your swimming career at a high level?
3: So I went, I chose to go the NCAA route. So I I attended University of Michigan from 2011 to 2015. Um, And that was great. I mean, it's just a different world, you know. I mean, not like this is a, obviously, it's a world class facility. Um, that we have in Kinsman, and I was very, very lucky to train here when I did. Um, But, you know, it's just a different – I think it's a different culture down there. Um, It's very sports-crazy, you know, sports-centric in Ann Arbor. And it was just – I went from having a team of maybe three or four to a team of 40, and it just helped me, you know, kind of get through the grind because it is a big grind uh, in swimming. You know, it's it's a it's a it's not a early it's not a quick gratification sport. You know, you put in a ton of work from September to April to see maybe a three or four tenths drop, if you're lucky, in the summer. So from that, from a mental standpoint, it's a lot. It was a lot easier to be around a group of guys like that, um, and obviously, being down there, going to football games, going to hockey games, you know, seeing these guys that are going. I think Quinn Hughes went seventh overall this year. You know, seeing guys like that and seeing how they work, seeing how their mindset is, it it just helped me develop as an athlete. I think, uh, and it helped me develop in, as a person too. You know, you learn a lot about yourself, taking care of yourself, and things like that when you go away at eighteen. So,
2: right. And so, did you the the football stadium, University of Michigan? That's what like a hundred thousand people.
3: One hundred oh, nine
2: nine thousand and one. <laughs> yeah. So you so you the biggest,
3: were uh, the biggest indoor football stadium or biggest American football team in the world,
2: yeah. Yeah, crazy. Richard Funk joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, Edmontonian telling you a little bit about his path through uh, elite-level swimming. He's going to be uh, going starting this Wednesday as part of the Canadian Swimming Trials. I mean, you got a bronze from the World Championships in the relay. You won three medals at the Pan Am Games uh, in Toronto. And and you specialize in breaststroke, right? Was that uh, yeah. always the, the main one for you, or did you decide maybe specifically for some reason to, to work on that one?
3: Yeah, I mean from a from a young age I just it just came naturally to me. I mean, my first coach when I was like just starting when I was like 10 years old, she said at the time she said Richard is going to be good because he feels the water. And at that time, she said this to my parents and at that time neither I nor they had any idea what that meant. But uh at that age, you know, she she saw that Breaststroke uh, came natural to me. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you develop all your strokes. You work on everything. You swim everything. But, you know, that was always my best. And when you get to a certain age, it's like pretty much all you do. I haven't swam a, a race of any other stroke in probably five, six years, to be honest.
2: Wow, okay. You're 25 now? Yep, 25. Richard, I, you know, I, I got to ask you about this. And and because when I was reading up on you earlier today, I read, yep. the, I read a couple interviews you did. Uh, after you missed out on the Olympic team for 2016, and, and you were pretty yep. hard, hard, hard on yourself, I thought anyway. Reading some of the quotes at the time, now I'll ask you about the context of those. But have you, have you shelf that? Have or uh, is is it motivation for you? Is it just part of the ups and downs of your career? Uh, you know, because it seemed like you know people thought you'd probably be on, and and I think yeah. you just missed out. So how, where where does that sit with you now?
3: Um. Well, it's actually, to be honest, it's happened twice. Uh, 2012, I I probably didn't have as good of a shot as I did in 2016. But you know, well, it's it's very hard to deal with. To be honest, Um, it takes a long time to kind of accept it. And you need—I think I had a great support staff around me that kind of helped me through, you know, how I was dealing, how I was doing mentally, because it's it's obviously not easy. Um, But you know, it's it's just. I think it's a part of sport, um, and it's a part of life ultimately. But in sport, you know, there's ups and there's downs, and and goals are. You set lofty goals for a reason, and I think the Olympic team. I mean, if it was easy, I mean, everybody would be on it, right? So de- dealing with that was a, a long process, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that you have to accept, like anything else that in your life that. You know, it doesn't go as planned. You have to accept it. You have to develop a strategy and try to try to cope with it and try to, uh, you know, just internalize it and uh, use it as motivation going forward, like you said. Um, I think last year, I mean, there was a lot, it's a lot of anxiety that goes with it, right? Because when you don't perform to your best, uh, you there's always thoughts in your mind. When you get older, at least, there's thoughts in your mind like hey am I ever gonna be as good as I think I can be or am I ever gonna get de- back down to like my best time things like that so you just have to surround yourself with good people I think and people that support you and people that believe in you and I think I've done a really good job of that um, in my life and you know it takes a long time to get you know your self-belief back and your self-confidence back but that's the biggest thing I mean surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you do that. And then once you do the rest, you know, I was able to do best times last year and, you know, win a medal at the world championships, which is something I never thought I'd do. So
2: Right. Well, well said. All right, Richard. Uh, so it's, it's in your home pool. You're thrilled to be uh, in Edmonton competing here. Yeah. It's the Canadian swimming trials uh, again. So you're, uh, so what the top, the top, how many make the Pan Pacific championships? Where do you have to finish? So, here?
3: So uh, the winner of every uh, event that's going to be contested at the PAMPAC ought to uh, get selected. So everybody okay. who wins this weekend will be on the team. And then there's additional swimmers that make the freestyle relays. And then there's a few, like, uh, the head coach selects a few people, I, I'm pretty sure. Like wild so card maximum, type things? Or so okay. a maximum of, like, 38
2: swimmers, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah, but so it's a big team okay so it's it, and this is a massive uh, meet it goes wednesday through sunday at the kinsman again yep. uh tickets are as low as five bucks a day uh yep. only ten dollars if you just want to go to the finals so it's it's pretty uh, pretty affordable if people want to check it out you, can you tell people when you are going to be in the pool if people want to cheer on an edmontonian here
3: yeah so i only swim on wednesday night uh from the first day of the meet the 100 breaststroke is the first day and i think it's the second event so Wednesday, probably about 6:30, I would
2: say. Uh, I, I'm I'm swimming. So do you have heats and then a final, or are you straight into the final? Yeah.
3: No. So there's heats in the morning and then the top. I think it's well, I think it's ten ten swimmers make the final. Okay. Uh, so well, there's ten lanes, but normally at, at big meets only eight go through. But I think they're going to use all ten lanes.
2: Okay, perfect. Well, Richard, yeah. thanks thanks for coming on. It was great to get to know you a little bit. All the best when you swim on Wednesday. I hope uh, we can have you on the show again. Very interesting to talk Thank to you. Yeah, it would be a, it, it would be great to get back on. Right on. That is Richard Funk checking in tonight. So there's a great Edmonton story, and he's uh, risen to uh, be one of the best swimmers in the world, certainly one of the best in the country. Very honest there about uh, some Olympic disappointment, but he'll be shooting for the team in 2020 and uh, a really good chance to uh, qualify for the Pan Pacific Championships in Tokyo next month. So he said it there, his 100-meter bre- breaststroke final should be around 6.30 Wednesday night at the Kinsman if you want to check him out. It is 6.47 Inside Sports on Chad. <laughs>
3: This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins
2: on 630 Chat. Just seeing reports tonight, speaking of the Edmonton Eskimos, that Terrell Owens has activated his 10-day clause with the Eskimos, uh, TSN's Dave Naylor, one of uh, the few people reporting this now. Uh, you may remember the story from June that the, uh, there was a report that the Eskimos put Terrell Owens on their negotiation list. And, uh, I mean, a lot of guys could be on negotiations lists. But once a player's on the list, he can tell that team, all right, you, you have 10 days to sign me or release my rights. Uh, so uh, this reportedly, uh, Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation also putting this out there, that Owens made this request on July 14th, which would give it to July 24th. Uh, Owens, 44 years of age. Uh, I would think it's, well, in my mind, I, I would think it's unlikely the Eskimos would sign Terrell Owens, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. They, they don't appear to need him too much, at least uh, receiving-wise, but something to keep an eye on. Interesting.
1: Calgary, it's your turn to come alive. Here comes the Duke of Newberry, Kurt Benzmiller. Here comes Chance Vegan and Jason Glass. Chance Vegan with a late charge. It is the Duke of Newberry, wire to wire with his wheels
2: on fire. Kurt Benzmiller, a horse like the head of Chance well, Oh, there it is, the call from last night, the Rangeland Derby, to wrap up the Calgary Stampede, the great sport of truck wagon racing. And I think now this young man can be considered one of the all-time greats, especially when it comes to going around the track in Calgary. It is Dewberry's own Kurt Bensmiller, the Rangeland Derby champ for the fourth time in the last five years. Kurt, good to talk to you again, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I guess the question is, uh, four in the last five, you won this year. You also won in 14, 15, and 17. What the heck happened in 2016? <laughs>
4: Well, 2016, I had a couple old horses that we ended up swapping out. We were in a rebuilding year, so I thought we wouldn't be back up on stage for five or six years. Somehow, we were lucky enough to get back to the last two. So,
2: so you're that, that's interesting. You're you're building a team of horses like uh, a general manager might try to build a hockey, baseball, or, or football team. You're thinking about the now and and the future. Is that how you approach your team?
4: Absolutely. Even the horses I pick some nights that go out that. Uh, not just about the race we're racing that night it's about coming up in a week or or the horses that we pack all summer long we wait to uh there for next year as well so
2: all right well take us through and look this is a, this is a grueling event because uh, you, you got nine days of racing to to qualify for the final and then the top four guys are in the final, and then that's uh, that's a, the winner-take-all. The winner so you could have the fastest total time for the week but not be the Rangeland Derby champion be, be, if you don't do it well in the dash. So you, you put it all together in that final heat. T- take us through that race. Uh, did, did you feel pretty in control, or what was it like?
4: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the outfit worked good all week. I think between the, uh, the eight horses that I swapped around, uh, they stayed pretty fresh, so we... I think the worst placing we had was fifth out of the 36 guys in the first nine nights. And then going into the dash the day before, we had another day money. So uh, the outfit was clicking, and I knew that they were going to be strong, and them guys really had trouble uh, running around or out-barreling. So once we out-barreled them guys and had them on the outside of me, I kind of knew that we were in pretty good shape.
2: All right. Hey, Kurt, uh, I, I mean, look, you're you're what, you're 35 now? Yes, sir. Uh, you're 35, and I know, I mean, you and I have known each other for a while now because you were an outrider and you, you were a younger driver, and, and your dad was uh, kind of the star in the family. Now, your dad, I believe, won three rangeland derbies. Like, can you believe you've now won four? Like, you've outdone your dad at this big event? Uh,
4: Yeah, but I mean, I think that the only reason that I've outdone him is just to change the structure. You don't have to pick a, you don't pull a barrel out of a hat, so that changes the percentage of, what barrel you're going off of and then I mean as soon as he retired he he just come in my corner so it it allowed us to tag team the whole outfit and and just uh, stay a lot steadier
2: Do you still spend a lot of time talking to him about racing and and breaking down you know what happened in any individual outing for you?
4: Yeah just about every day we will uh, he travels all year long and does all the racetracks and arena directing for us so um, Calgary doesn't do that but he travels he rides in the wagon pre-race and after race so It doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Even if I'm 100% confident, I'll still uh, go talk to him about it. I think he just allows me to make more of the decisions that I've already got made up in my head. It's just nice to have his backing.
2: Uh, Kurt Bensmiller joining us. in inside sports Rangeland Derby champion, Chuck Wagon Racing at the Calgary Stampede. He's won four of the last five years. An incredible run. Uh, for those of you googling Dewberry, it is uh, it is east of Edmonton. You, it's uh, you can drive by it pretty quickly, as as you know, Kurt. But it's a great community. Uh, and I obviously met you and your dad uh, working at the at the TV station in Lloydminster many years ago. Can you? I, I mean, I know the story, but I, I want people to hear it from you. Can you just maybe tell us about chuck wagon racing in your family? Uh, I mean, how it's kind of gone from generation to generation, and I also wonder now if if you have a generation coming up behind you involved in the sport.
4: Well, my grandpa did it. My grandpa Alan Bensler, is one of the first guys that started wagon racing here in this area,
2: the Dubray Lake Mystery Area, uh, and then
4: my mom's dad, uh, Alan Smith. He uh, he was racing back then as well. Then my dad did it, for buddy, for over forty years, and. Now i've done it for i'm not sure i think they said 18 years the other day and then both my brothers are involved heavily in it and my sisters as well so we've uh it's a family thing that we've grown up doing and uh, as if i have three daughters right now so hopefully they don't mess around they go get real jobs <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they're they're more than welcome to help they do the wild pony race and sheep rides. so we had a busy calgary because we're still in rodeo or some aspect of it but
2: it's 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 not a. Uh, I, I mean, it's it, as you said. It's uh, you're always busy. It's not a glamorous life all the time. There's there's a lot of prep behind the scenes. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's a can be a dangerous sport, you got to be safe out there as well as uh, as well as aggressive. There's kind of that interesting combination. Uh, but I mean, you 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 can win some money if you're good, and, and the dash for cash is a hundred thousand dollars. And I still talk to people about my days covering uh, the, the Chucks and Lloyd and saying, you know, the top guys can, can make six figures if they do well. And I still have people who don't believe me, but you really got to push to get to that level, don't you?
4: Absolutely, yeah, consistency. Uh Anybody can get lucky, but if you're going to make the money every year, you're going to have to be consistent and push for
2: sure. All right. Well, Kurt, I'm glad to check in with you. When are you up next? Are you starting again something else Thursday already? Already? No, no. This year we have a break in the schedule, so it's kind of nice. For the first time since
4: June 3rd or something, we just got home about an hour ago. Um, So we get to spend a little little about 10, 12 days, I guess, here at home before we have to head back out for the last three weeks.
2: Well, there's what a jerk I am. You just get home, and I I bug you for another interview. (laughs) Well, Kurt, thanks for fitting me in. Congratulations on your continued success. Uh, I think it might be your dad's birthday today, so if you see him, tell him old Wilkins says happy birthday, all right? I will, for sure. That is great to have Kurt Benzmiller on Inside Sports, an incredible representative of the sport of truck wagon racing, great guy. He also won the Allen Cup, by the way. Played for the Bentley Jeff- uh, Generals, I think it was back in 2009. He's a great story. we got to pause here uh, for the news. Was it a handball? We'll get to that. Inside Sports on Chad. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.